Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you nothing. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave. I'm a sophomore at Santa Clara University. And today I'm talking with Father Dorian Llewellyn, who is the executive director of the Ignatian Center for Jesuit Education at Santa Clara. Uh, the Ignatian Center runs a couple programs that we'll get into in this episode, including um, immersion trips, which are um, learning and social justice focused trips that happen in summer, uh, spring break, and winter break of each year. Actually, just a few months ago, I went on an immersion trip to Oakland, uh, close by, and we toured a bunch of different nonprofits and did some work for the Homeless Shelter um, and Community Center where we were staying, St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, In this episode, we get into Father Dorian's travel experiences. He's visited over 30 countries and lived in about eight. I had a lot of fun recording this episode, and I think you'll enjoy it. So without any further ado, please welcome our guest, Father Dorian Llewellyn. And so I'd love to start out by asking, what were your career plans in college? What did you think you were going to do with your life um, in college? Absolutely (laughs) not this. I mean, it's one of the things in life, sometimes you think, how on earth did I end up here? Um, when I was in college, my plan was to be a TV journalist and, uh, I worked on the student newspaper, uh, and <clears throat> there was a trainee course in, in the BBC, which I applied to, uh, there were 11,000 applicants and I got down to the final seven and, uh, they selected five and I wasn't one of them. Um, what happened after that, Kevin, is that, um, I, I, it's one of these questions I thought, well, what next, you know, uh, and I wasn't willing at that point to give up the idea of um, TV journalism. But I thought it would be good to get some life experiences some broader experiences. So I applied to and I uh, was accepted by uh, the British equivalent of Peace Corps. Um, so I thought I wanted to get some international experience. So um, I was accepted by them. And I don't think I ever got the journalism plans ever back on track after that. So um, so that spun my life up into a very different trajectory. Hmm. Were there any moments or experiences during your time doing the, during the Peace Corps that really helped shape you in some way? Uh, all of it. Um, it really does. It mean, it was you know when you when you're in your early twenties, right out of uh, out of college, some of those are they're very very formative times in people. So um, I spent two years in Egypt. Um, I was in rural Egypt, uh, and I was in a very very poor university. I had to buy my own chalk because we did not have this university. Just didn't have those kind of uh, the the financial resources. Um, I think there, I remember getting off the plane in Cairo and just, it was like, I mean, just this color and movement and thousands of people all over the place uh, and thought, wow, I'm, it was exciting to be in. Um, I think living in places of economic disadvantage actually really, really shaped how I look at the world. And I was aware that the world is much, much bigger. Uh, it's a pr- predominantly Muslim society. So I, it was my first encounter with lived Islam. 
Um, and I say with some of my life went off, you know, the river changed course at that point. Uh, when I came back to uh, England after, it was Wales rather, after I finished two years in Egypt, um, one thing I was not prepared for is reverse culture shock. Uh, when you've been away and you return to your own culture and you realize that something has shifted and you can't really communicate it to the people who you're with because they haven't changed, but you have internally. So pretty much the first night that I got back, I uh, told my folks that, yeah, I want to go and do this again. So I ended up then and I've reapplied and uh, I was accepted uh, and I spent almost four years in Indonesia. Hmm. That itself was also very, it was a very different experience. Indonesia is economically, in many cases, more, more advanced. Uh, but it was also one the, out of the, can't remember how it is now, seven, eight countries that I've lived in. Uh, it's probably the one where I made the most strenuous efforts to really, really to try to enculturate into the society. Mm-hmm. So my Arabic is, it's okay. You know, I can get through lunch and I can ask for directions, have simple conversations. But with uh, Indonesian, I got to the point where I was thinking in Indonesian. Mm-hmm. I could pass for Indonesian over the phone. Uh, but it was also my first encounter with quite, you know, which actually I, I want to call it racism, but let's call it cultural exclusivity in the sense that I I worked very hard at, in trying to make myself sort of sympathetic to the, to, uh, to the local culture. I learned a lot about it. Uh, most of my friends were Indonesian. But I got to the point, and it came after about three years, when I realized there was actually a very subtle glass ceiling, uh, and I got about as far as I could go, uh, and that I was always going to be the foreigner. So because of that, I think uh, that's made me, I think, aware of cultural issues and culture. What, what, what is it? What is it to be an immigrant in a, in a culture? Mm-hmm. And then was there any moments uh, or experience where you said, I want to be a Jesuit priest? Oh, that came. Uh, no, <laughs> that came. You know, you can have this. There was no kind of bolt from the sky. So uh-huh. kind of this 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 text from God saying, I want to be a Jesuit priest. So that. Um, there was a moment, I think, my trajectory is a bit odd because I was a priest before I was a Jesuit. I, mean, I was a diocesan priest. Um, there was a moment of a kind of a, not a more like a thunderbolt, um, uh, but there was a moment I was sitting on a bus going between my hometown in Wales and London and just wondering what did I want to do with my life? Um, and... Uh, Suddenly, that's what the answer came, you know, was that uh, to be a priest. And my response to that was a word I'm not going to say on this, but it was not a polite word, you know, because it was distinctly something I had no intention of doing. And it was not my work plans that I didn't want to do it. So I resisted that for for about for a good eight, eight, almost 10 years. And then uh, at some point, it's a bit like an itch that you have and it keeps on. You have to scratch it. So it was at that point I decided to go. I thought. Okay, I have to do this. Is coming back it goes. Oh, it's not there constantly, but it's consistent enough for me to. to I have to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. So then I ended up in uh, in seminary, and I was a diocesan seminarian in Spain um, because my where I was, we have no seminary there, and I already spoke Spanish, so I was sent to study in Spain. Mm-hmm. So there was that. Um, the Jesuit piece came, I think, was right from the beginning, but I really wasn't willing to recognize it um and the jesuit piece has been much more subtle in the sense of it, it in the sense of i'm wondering shall i do this should i not is this going to be a good fit or not mm-hmm. so the hardest decision with the Des- jesuits if there ever was was simply pressing the send button mm-hmm. on an email that i sent to the jesuits and saying could i meet and talk to you mm-hmm. yeah. 
And then you mentioned that you've lived in seven or eight different countries, yeah. and I've read that you visited over yeah. 20, 26 others. Uh, so it's a bit more than that now. <laughs> what uh, w- Were there any particular uh, countries that you visited that, that really helped like change your uh, your worldview in some way? Like you mentioned Indonesia, but are there any other cultural All of experiences? them to a certain extent. Um, I think particularly the ones which are outside Europe. I mean, America has profoundly changed, changed my worldview. I mean, I've been in this country now for a quarter of my, over, I think, a third of my life. Um, so uh, that has shaped who who I am. When I go back to my back to England, I don't, I no longer feel that I'm part of that country. Um, it's not. I mean, you recognize it and so forth. You know your way around, but it's no longer my home culture. Um, I think uh, I spent six months in Chile, which I think was also uh, influential and, and bookended that with time in Argentina. So, uh, the, so I want to say Latin America is not a culture, you know, it's cultures, but I think mm-hmm. down in the, the, the south of Latin America, that's shaped who, who I am. Mm-hmm. It's the way that people relate to each other, their attitude towards life. Mm-hmm. And when you when you were able to visit all these countries, like mm-hmm. what what steps did you take? Like were you going alone? Were you working with organizations? Mostly, you know, I've done very little tra- tourist travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these was have been with uh, with work, uh, where it's Jesuit related or church related, or before that uh, Peace Corps related. So mm-hmm. uh, I actually don't like being a tourist, um, uh, not unless it's I'm with lots of other tourists. And mm-hmm. Disneyland is fine because everybody's a tourist. Mm-hmm. But when you're visiting, particularly a uh, a culture which is economically disadvantaged. Um, you're always wary of poverty tourism, of looking at all of these, you know, these uh, picturesque brown people, you know, isn't it? And, and you, you know, there's always an etiquette about an, about whether you take pictures for or not. So it's almost, there's a certain secretness in, in people's life. And I'm wary of sort of going in, treading on the sacredness and then just bouncing off back again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then moving into your your role as the director of the Ignatian Center, mm-hmm. um, like what are what what programs should students be aware of in the Ignatian Center? What are what All are its goals? All of them. So the Ignatian Center really fundamentally exists to be the and we we like to think of ourselves, and some people say we're the heart and soul of Santa Clara. So what is distinctive about Santa Clara? What is it that Santa Clara is that nobody else is? Um, we're a Jesuit university, and we're here in Silicon Valley. Those are our two, you know, what and our competitive advantages that so you say in marketing. Um, so I want to say, concentrate. We're the Ignatian Center for Jesuit Education. So part of our uh, role is really is to show what that looks like. So, you know, Missouri is known as the show me state. Well, I'd like us to be the the show me place in Santa Clara that this is what Jesuit education. So it includes academic components, but also includes um, social justice components and more sort of existential parts. Um, And we also seek to sort of disseminate that uh, within the campus and beyond the campus. So the first program the students are going to encounter probably when they hear is either immersions uh, or they may, uh, which we have, I think it's 17 sites now ranging from three miles down the road in San Jose, the homeless uh, encampment. Uh, This year, I think the furthest we're going is Bombay. I don't know if Ecuador is far further away. Yes, it pro- no, Bombay is probably further away. So 17 national, uh, local, national and international sites. Um, that's one um, 
way in which the people encounter us. The other way is that this right now, um, it's the first week of, of quarter. At the beginning of quarter, we always register students for the um, Engaged Learning in Social Justice, the LSJ course. Um, something like 85% of our students who do that do that via the Ignatian Center. So we have an extensive network of uh, community partners or local so social service organizations. So uh, at the very minimum, uh, those students who do that, I don't know if they realize it's through the Ignatian Center, uh, but we're the brokers between the campus and the community. Um, our Bannon programs are really probably more targeted towards faculty, but they want to uh, engage in intelligent conversation uh, uh, about the issues of the day. And bear in mind, this is a Jesuit Catholic university, so we bring our particular viewpoint into that. So, mm -hmm. so for those points, it's the kind of the practical, the academics involved with it, um, it, both the Bannon and with the Bannon programs and also the uh, Engaged Learning for Social Justice, you do it for credit. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the more experiential things, I think, is that the immersion things and that. Mm -hmm. If I'm honest, I think that some of the bigger moments for a student come in the aha moments, um, come in the immersions. In the sense that you can talk about um, social justice, you can talk about poverty, marginalization, you can study in class. Uh, it's very different when it takes a name and a face and a, and a personal history. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's much harder to ignore someone than ignore something. Mm -hmm. And it's that face-to-face -face encounter, I think, which is actually really important. You know, students want to do things, and I understand that, and I sympathize with it. Uh, I'm no longer your, you know, a student age. That happened a long time ago. but. Um, Students want to make an impact. What I like to think of is that we have to invest in ourselves before we can uh, before we can make an impact. Mm -hmm. So learning, first of all, just the quiet work of sitting, wait, talking to people, waiting and watching. So we cannot transform situations of poverty. Uh, uh, we can go and you know, we can go and build a wall, doing something useful like that. I wonder in the long term if it actually is better for us to actually to, to learn from those people mm -hmm. and just to do the humble, quiet, patient work of being with them, watching, talking. Mm -hmm. I often think the success of students in, um, of the immersion program is really what happens to the students when they come back? Mm -hmm. Do they live their lives differently? Um, one thing we don't have, Gavin, and we're working on, on doing this, is actually tracking our students who they are 10 years out. Mm -hmm. So if uh, there's a conversation, so if you want to come back in 10 years time mm -hmm. and I ask you, what is that? What was it that you remember mm -hmm. of that experience? That's the conversation we want to come back. Mm -hmm. So I want to know what happened to the, the, to the, to the, the, the student who went on an immersion to, let's say she went to New Orleans and she's become a dentist. Mm -hmm. 15 years later, is she a different kind of dentist because of the Jesuit education that she received? Mm -hmm. You know, it's that, those things. So. It's investment in our students. Hmm. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. And what would you say? I went on an immersion trip this past yeah uh, this past month to Oakland, and I really loved it. Um, what did you love about it? I I really wasn't expecting that we would get to see so many different nonprofit organizations right. and hear from the the leaders of those yeah. organizations. I kind of expected some type of a service component, which yeah. we did right. we did have, but I was really excited to see so many passionate people right. leading these these organizations. Um, so what would you what, what would you tell a student who maybe they're considering going on an immersion trip but they're they're not sure about just like making the commitment or taking the step forward like well, what would you tell a student do it 
you're never not going to know what it's like until you try. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we clearly we survey our students. Mm -hmm. You know, there's obviously going to be experiences that are you know, that that are just not going to work for everybody. But the, and there's I'm sure there were things on the immersions that that would on that particular experience, Gavin, that were more difficult for you than others. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's worth it. You know, I mean, I think it's kind of putting yourself out there. Um, Santa Clara has many, many good things, uh, and one of the things it's not good at <laughs> is that is that we tend to be a bubble, mm -hmm. and we're looking at ourselves. So I think what this does is it actually helps burst the bubble mm -hmm. and get us out into different realities mm -hmm. as, as well. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to ask about your your personal research interests as well. So oh. how, uh, <laughs> what, like what 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 did you uh, study? I know you wrote you wrote a book in. Uh, 2010. So, do you, do you want to touch on that? Like, what, sure. what interests you in? Yeah. Um, so, I started out, uh, I'm an English major. You know? mm -hmm. um, so, I guess literature was always interesting to me. But I mean, when I trained as a priest, I'd be, I started studying theology. And then, when I wanted to go on to study more, uh, it was almost like it had got its teeth into me and it wouldn't let me go. <clears throat> I didn't know anything about theology, frankly. But um, so, the my area of research initially was spirituality which I'm never quite sure what that actually means. Um, but I was particularly interested in people's personal religious experience, but also in the collective religious experience, you know? So it's not so much what people believe, what they say they believe, but how do they actually live? Um, I grew up in a minority culture. Um, my native language is not English, it's Welsh, uh, which is spoken by um, less than 2 million. It's, so, so it's, I think we are now something like 700,000 speakers. Uh, so in a situation of being a, a minority linguistic and a cultural minority, I was always acutely aware of how identity is wrapped up with, with that, with the, with the language you speak. But it's also wrapped up in religion. So in Wales, where I come from, 2% um, of the population is Catholic. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to think about in that, that particular research is how do as our language and our, our ethnic background and our sense of identity all kind of figured together with our religious identity. Mm -hmm. So the book that I wrote was, um, that last book was, um, um, it's about nationality, nationalism, uh, national identity, I'm trying to look at it from a Catholic point of view. And what I discovered is that nobody had done it before. So I was making it up as I go along. So mm -hmm. What are the key like takeaways from that book? And then you wrote it about eight years ago. So yeah. would you would you want to add anything now based on our, um, our nation? Well, I, the book begins, um, Gavin, with a sort of self-justification. Self you know, why mm -hmm. on earth am I writing a book mm -hmm. about this? Eight years ago, a lot of my colleagues couldn't understand why this was of any interest at all. Um, I think uh, I'm kind of blowing my own horn here. Uh, in the last eight years, we realized that nationalism is far from a spent force. Um, and also that the that religion is in a, apart from personal belief, um, you can't ignore it. It's part of our global reality and we need to be literate in that. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, what I would say, I would write the same book again, um, probably, um, but I would also want to probably sharpen up in the sense of, of the implications of why this is important to think about these questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why is it why is it important to think about? Well, because if you're if you're a citizen of the world, mm -hmm. uh, we live in a world in which in which nationalism is far from as far from gone away. For, mm -hmm. In fact, in the sense of that, it's a, a sense of uh, let's say national pride or national identity importance that 
is in fact um, it's a facet of global globalization. Mm -hmm. So as globalization tends to make us aware of a bigger world, people also want the security of their own in-group as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the experience, probably since, t I mean, maybe in the American consciousness um, since 9-11, we just written 9-11, we realized that we just, even whatever our personal beliefs, we cannot ignore the presence of religion. Mm -hmm. It's not, even if we don't approve of religion, it's there. So Harvard, for example, in their in their the equivalent of their core curriculum, uh, at one point wanted to reintroduce the study of religion into uh, the core curriculum for undergraduates, but the faculty voted it down, uh, which I think was really short-sighted. Um, and they said, whatever their personal beliefs, I think you just have to, we have to be religiously, uh, in the same way as we have to be politically literate, we also need to be religiously literate. So we need to know about this in order to, to be global citizens. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So if, if a student said, I want to be a, a global citizen, I want to foster this sense of yeah. unity, what steps could they take? Uh, I think what you do is, first of all, get to know, <laughs> is read, talk to people, keep your eyes open. Um, I think you, travel actually helps tremendously because, I mean, study is important, but I think the possible, I always encourage students to do study abroad mm -hmm. and rather than hang around with other students wherever mm -hmm. they go, I think study abroad actually is a great broadener mm -hmm. and it provides a depth. Um, I think an immersion experience um, can do something um, different because it's working with a different group of people. Um, we have these great fellowships called Gene Donovan Fellowships, which are over the summer. Um, they're competitive and selective, but some of the projects the students have gone on their own personal immersion, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's the safety net, it's almost like the psychological safety net is less than it would be with going to the group. Uh, I hear wonderful stories from students who come back and they are, you know, their energy is bouncing and they're bouncing off the walls. Uh, I know that those experiences will be formative in who they will be the rest of their lives. Hmm. You can see people going off in a track. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. Sure. So, so first of all, what is the best investment you've made in your life? And that could be of time, of money, of energy. Oh my gosh, that's a of, really difficult effort. question. Yeah. Um, let's have a look. Well, I've been a number of them. Um, I think the investments of study have been worthwhile, uh, particularly in grad, grad school. I was, uh, I was kind of a party animal when I was an undergraduate. Um, I mean, I did not study very much. Mm -hmm. I really worked my butt off uh, as a grad student. I think that's important. Um, I think the investment of learning languages has been uh, has been wonderful. I mean, I never knew what I did high school Spanish. Um, uh, there have been periods of my life when I've lived entirely through the medium of Spanish. Uh, I use Spanish every single day. Um, so I think um, just having another a language is a window on the world. So having many windows to your house really helps a lot. Hmm. If I gave you a plane ticket right now and it was to any country in the world, where would you want well, to I've go? Well, I've got a plane ticket, actually. Oh. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just about to head out to London for uh, an event to talk to talk about Santa Clara and about the Ignatian Center. It's hmm. a promotional event. And then mm -hmm. I'm getting on a plane to Rome after that. Um, for a meeting of, um, I'm on the planning committee of a world uh, world meeting of Jesuit universities next summer. Mm. So we're, this is a planning meeting. Um, last year I did 46 flights. Wow. Um, so getting on a plane would not be, <laughs> it's not my idea of a fun time. Uh -huh. You know what? I really would like to go back and lie on a beach in Hawaii right now. It's as superficial <laughs> as that. Uh -huh. If you gave me a country, 
uh, to go to that I've never been, uh, I, I'd be happy to go just about anywhere. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would you want to? Oh wow, that'd be a that'd be a great question. Um, you know, there was a Jesuit called uh, Athanasius Kircher, who they, they was described in some books as the last man who knew everything, because this guy was a, a scientist, he was a musician, he was an investigator, um, uh, he was a writer. Um, I think dinner with Athanasius would probably make me feel very intimidated, uh, but I and I know that I would have incredibly much to learn from him. Mm-hmm. If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? There's a world out there. The world is not the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, what does your ideal Saturday look like? Oh, uh, well, I tell you what last Saturday was, was sitting around like a beached whale. Um, <laughs> I thought my brain, I, I had work to do and my brain and my body did not cooperate. Um, an ideal Saturday, hmm. You know, I'm a great fan of just lounging around and doing nothing. Uh, I think it's actually productive. You know, I don't know if you write at all, Gavin, but I, I mean, I'm a terrible procrastinator. But what I find is if I have to write something, um, I it takes, I'm already thinking about it a lot of time. It's, you know, you can, when I was discovered when I was writing my first dissertation that <clears throat> it was not anyone's writing it, but I was sleeping with it and dreaming with it and eating with it and going, you know, going to the shower with it. So it's kind of pondering all the time. So I think allowing fallow time, you know, we live in a high face world um, where we're constantly attached and even leisure time means being, you know, we're attached to our to our to our smartphones. Um, detaching is something I find very very hard to do, but I think it's actually very creative and a productive and and humanely it's humanly it's actually necessary. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.